Open your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3. Again, we have a lot to cover today. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scathing, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in all our hearts, in which indeed you were, were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In whatever you do, in word or in deed, to everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, as you have no doubt and quickly realized through this short series, uh, when we look at large chunks of Scripture like this, there is no way for us to cover everything, is there? There's a lot here. So what we do is we kind of back up, we elevate, and we look at it from about a 30,000-foot approach. What we want to do is get, get the big picture, the big idea. So we always want the point of the passage to be the point of the sermon, but there's no way we're going to be able to cover everything. And really what I want out of this is to leave you asking questions. I want you to be thinking, well, what about this? And How does this apply to this? That way you can engage me and send me messages or send your, talk in your small group or engage one of the elders and talk over the, the dinner table and be like wrestling with the text yourself. And so we're always coming back to it. So in keeping with this approach, last week we began looking at what it means to be alive in Christ. What does this mean? 
So first, we looked at the significance of believer's baptism last week. And if you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go online, listen to it, download it, kind of kind of get the backstory of where we're at today. But we looked at the significance of believer's baptism and what it's communicating um, to the watching world. How we were once dead in our sin, but now we are alive in Christ. And the dramatic difference that that is supposed to look like. And and how as a result of our new life in Christ, we are now to, to actually walk in Christ. So we started last week about kind of some warnings and some don'ts and how that's supposed to look. This week, he's continuing on in his letter saying, okay, you want to walk in Christ? You're alive in Christ? This is how you need to be living. This is what your life needs to look like. This is the process that you're going to go through here. So that's what we're going to look at today. So let's get started. If then you have been raised with Christ, Paul's addressing, again, the Colossians. He's saying to them, If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, if then you have been raised with Christ, point number one, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on earth. But here's the question right out of the gate. How are we to know the things that are above? Are they the things that that just make us feel good? Are they things that just feel right? Their personal opinions? Is it uh, some type of tradition? Whatever we want to believe? What the church says? What is this? How are we to know the things that are above? And the answer is real simple. If we want to know the things that are above, the one from above has to reveal. We, uh, can you hear me? Awesome. I can't see you. Uh, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I I mean, we're back again. All right. We're going to stay focused. That's what you hear me say. There's going to be hiccups that come along the way. One, we can never take ourselves too seriously because we're, we're not that important. Uh, and, and two, when things like that, we just keep moving and we, we laugh and, and we move forward, all right? So if we want to know these things, like the things that are above, the one from above has to reveal them to us, doesn't he? We can't just come up with this on our own. And just like we looked at and talked about a few weeks back, there are certain things that you can know about me from just general observation, right? You can look at me and say, okay, he's a pretty tall guy. You can listen to me and say, yeah, he ain't from around here, is he? Uh, I mean, you can just kind of pick up on these things through through general observation. But if you really want to know me, my passions, my likes, my dislikes, you know, that I, what what sports teams I follow and all these type of things, I'm going to have to reveal them to you, don't I? Well, this is the same thing that we see with God. We know that God exists through a general observation of his creation. Romans 1.19 tells us what can be known about God is plain to us because he has made it known to us through his creation. Therefore, we are without excuse. Now, you're going to hear people all the time, they're going to deny the existence of God. They say, well, I don't, I don't believe in him. Or, or they're going to say, how do we really know that God is out there? And that's ultimately, long story short, sin depriving the mind 
the, the, the depravity of sin, kind of keeping people from the truth. And this, you're dead in your sin to, to whatever degree. There's going to be a hard time understanding and believing certain truths. But we can talk about that at another point. That's one of those things. Write it down. I'd be happy to talk with you about it. But to, to, but to, to know him for who he really is. To know God for who he really is. To know his attributes, his desires, his likes, his dislikes, his, his personhood, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. To know anything, intimate details about God, he has to reveal them to us. And he has through his word. This is where he has revealed these things to us. That's the reason Paul tells us in Colossians uh, here, to, tells the Colossians, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, the Word of God, in addition to Jesus taking on flesh, is God's special revelation to us. It's Him saying, hey, you want to know me? You, you, you want to know me? Like, look to the Scriptures. This is how I've chosen to reveal myself to the world, which means He's also a personal God. We've looked at this. This is like we were talking a few weeks back. He's not distant and disconnected. He is a personal God. He wants us to know Him for who He is. And that should comfort our weary souls. That He wants us to know Him. So if we want to know Him, we must, as verse 16 says, let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. So yes, that means spending time in His Word. It means making a devotion to commit it to memory. It means that we're going to read and we're going to study the Word and really dive in to know God, which in turn sets our minds on the things that are above and not the things that are on this earth. See, Paul's not directing them to personal opinions here, is he? He's not directing them to say, hey, just go with whatever feels good to you. Go whatever what feels right. No, he's directing them to things that are above, the things that God has revealed. And here's the reason why. Just as we, we've looked at and talked about somewhat last week, verse 3 comes right back at it here. And he tells us, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in the Lord, in God. You're no longer who you once were. If you are in Christ, if you are truly in Christ, you are no longer who you once were. The old self is gone, and the new self is come. You are a new creation in Christ. You once were dead in your sin, but you are dead no longer. You are now alive in Christ. And the evidential part of being alive in Christ is, guess what? We now desire to know Christ. We want our lives to look more and more like Christ. So we want. This is evidence of genuine faith. You want to know what genuine faith looks like? It's going to be comprised of new desires, new affections, wanting things that we never wanted before and being repulsed by things that used to bring us joy, that used to be like, that didn't repulse us, now they repulse us. But it doesn't all happen overnight. It doesn't all happen overnight. Now, you're going to hear those, those stories here and there of the person who, just dramatic, like, boom, they were... They were selling crack and doing everything one day, and then immediately, no, it's gone. But it didn't mean they still had it all together. It, it, they, those things may be gone, but there's still a process of coming to know and to grow in Christ. And you know what that process is called? Sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Okay, you sound like my four-year-old saying it this morning. I got a little more umph in here. Say sanctification. 
That's what we're talking about. But when Bryant said it this morning, it was sanctification. That, that, that's what it sounded like this morning. Which is just really, it's a big word. It's a biblical word. We don't see it right here in this passage. But this is what all this passage is talking about when we're looking at it. It's a big word defining the process of becoming more like Christ. So say, becoming more like Christ. That's the aim. That's our focus. It's a work initiated and done by the Holy Spirit. And it's a work that we play a key role in as well. Okay? So while we do nothing to save ourselves, let's make this clear. We are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. That's it. We do nothing to justify ourselves before God, to make ourselves right before God. But sanctification serves as evidence of our justification. So you want to know if you're justified, if you're right before God, are you being sanctified? If there's no sanctification, then you never were justified. So what we see here, if you are justified, if you have been made right before a holy God through your faith in Jesus Christ alone, then you will be sanctified. Guaranteed. It is going to happen. And this is where new desires come into play. All right? And I, I remember when Leslie and I started dating, I would join her and her parents for dinner. And it just so happens that her parents are here with us today. They're coming and visiting, and we're going to show them around. Uh, this sermon illustration was okay, already in place, so I'm not doing it because they're here. Um, and so, in fact, it just puts me on the spot uh, just a little bit more and allows you to re- I'm gonna reveal some stuff to you uh, as we're going. But, of course, when I went over to her house for dinner, I was grateful and I, I wanted to do everything I could to, to put my best for, foot forward because I really like Leslie. I was like, she's hot. I like her. I want to get to know this girl more. And then I heard what we were having for dinner. <laughs> spaghetti. And you're like, what's the big deal about Spaghetti. Well, FYI, revealing stuff to you about, at that point in time, I hated spaghetti. Like, as a child growing up, when we would have spaghetti, I would have peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, remember, like, I'm not eating spaghetti. But when Leslie and her parents told me what we were having for dinner, I responded with, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> that, that's great. And why did I say that? Because I didn't want to offend. I want to do everything that I can to impress. Because, again, I really liked Leslie. Not spaghetti. I really liked Leslie. And my affections for Leslie now outweighed any disgust, distaste for any particular food. Just put whatever it is. Just throw it in front of me. I like this girl. I will eat whatever is in front of me. But inwardly, I'm dying. like, how am I going to eat this? And it, it wasn't just a small little portion. It was a large portion of, of spaghetti. Like, how am I going to eat this? But guess what? I ate. I ate every single bite. And what did I say when I looked up at her and her mother? This is delicious. <laughs> this is awesome. And she's staring right at me right now. <laughs> And then as, as Leslie and I continued to date, here's what I, I learned. A lot of the foods that I, I did not like as a child were her and her family's favorite foods. <laughs> a lot of them. 
And so you can take the story that we just went through and hit play and repeat um, over and over and over again. But this, here's what happened as time went on. The more I ate, the more my taste for these foods began to change. And now some of these foods are my favorite foods. I can't wait to fix them myself. But my tastes have, have changed. But it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight, and it didn't start with my desires for these foods. Guess what it started with? My affections for Leslie. I really liked Leslie, and that led to the other changes. And this is true of our relationship with Christ as well. We are first drawn to the desire to please Christ. We have a new, deep affection for Christ that we never had before. We were dead, and now we're alive, and we now desire things that we never desired before. And as a result, we now want to please Him. We want to be more like Him. We want to, to study the Scriptures. I, I never wanted to study the Scriptures before. I never wanted to take a bite of spaghetti. But now I want to read the Scriptures. I want to sing songs. I want, I want to know Him. I want to look at His life, and I want to be more like Christ. Where did that come from? It, it came from the work that Christ has done in my life, in your life, if you are a believer. And guess what? Sometimes it's painful and it's hard. It's a process. But it's a process that slowly and surely, one step at a time, is molding us and shaping us into the image of Christ. Our tastes are beginning to change. Our life is beginning to look different. And this leads us to point number two. Want to grow in Christ's likeness? Point number two, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. This is, again, pointing us back to our baptism that we looked at last week. Death and life, dead to sin, now alive in Christ. And this is where our role in sanctification comes in play. Remember, I said we don't play a role in justification, but we do play a role in our sanctification. Well, this is where it comes into play, where we're told to put to death what is earthly in us. And that just sounds painful, doesn't it? To put to death what is earthly in us, to put to death, to execute, to eliminate these earthly desires, earthly things in our lives, like sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry, put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. We're told to put it all to death. There's nothing, nothing pleasing about that. And again, the question is why? Why are we to put these things to death? Well, look at verse 6. It tells us, on account of these things, these, the wrath of God is coming. And it's these things, the unrepentant continual practice of these things that describe the life of an unbeliever. Someone who, who doesn't know Christ. Thus, the person who we are now, who is now in Christ, you're going to want to put these things to death. They're to be a part of your life no more. But it's not going to be easy. And here's the thing. We wouldn't even desire to put these things to death if we were still dead in our sin, would we? It wouldn't even be a desire. If I did not like Leslie at that point, I would never have tasted the spaghetti. I wouldn't have done it. I would never have gone to a restaurant and said, give me the spaghetti. But when my desires change, then the tastes begin to change as well. This is what we see. And this is why this is why 
we can't expect non-Christians to think like Christians. Because we have to remember, they are dead in their sin. If you don't know Christ today, I cannot expect you to understand what we're talking about. I can't expect you to desire these things. When you go and you have dinner this week and lunch with, with folks, and you're gathering with family members who do not know Christ, you're not going to be able to expect them to, to understand the things of Christ. Why? Because they are dead in their sin. So when they practice or when they support forms of sexual immorality, impurity, various passions, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, now all the obscene talk, all these things, when we see this in their lives, and much, much more, we should not be surprised. We should not be surprised. Why? Because they're dead in their sin. But what I see a lot from well-meaning Christians, this happens a lot in particularly where we are from, this is what I can be related to, is this attempt to change moral behavior of non-Christians so that they will look and act like good moral Christians. So they're they're putting on the front, they're 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 talking the right language, they're they're putting on the right clothes, they're 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 voting the right way, they're they're doing all these things that they're supposed to do as Christians, but they're still dead in their sin. And that's like putting makeup on a dead body, just to be honest. I remember my grandmother She's from Buffalo, New York, or was from Buffalo, New York, and Leslie's grandmother from uh, the Martinsville, Collinsville, Virginia uh, area. Both of them, I'd hear this coming from, they would go to a funeral of a, of, of a friend um, or family member or who, whoever it might be, and they'd come back from the funeral, maybe funeral visitation, and you'd ask them whether it be on the phone or in person how it was, and they'd say, how, how, did, uh, how was the funeral? And instead of, you're expecting to say, well, the pastor had some nice words, um, you know, I got to see uncle uh, and aunt and all these people. The response would come back, typically, she looked really good. She looked really good? Of all the things, you know, she looked really good. And it's like, she's still dead. Like, yes, she's been made up and she's got the makeup on, but there's no pulse there. But she's dead. But that's, that's the picture that popped in my mind this week when I was th- studying. Because this is so true of how we act and, and want to treat our non-Christian neighbors. We get uncomfortable by their sin. So we're like, just get it all together. Just take that away. Make it look, get this together. But we're never getting to the heart issue. We're, we're glossing over. We're, we're treating the symptoms and not the cause. When we need to see that only when we're alive in Christ do we then desire to set our minds on the things that are above and put to death what is earthly in us. We're not going to desire this on our own. But when we do, we're displaying evidence of, we're displaying fruit of a new life in Christ. But it doesn't mean that we're free from temptation, and it doesn't automatically mean that we know how to live as Christians. Think about it. The moment you came to faith in Christ, did you just know everything it would have meant to to follow Christ? Yeah, I got it all together. No. I remember taking a kid to camp. This is why solid teaching is so important, all right? We have to follow up. When somebody comes to faith in Christ, just keep teaching uh, and don't assume anything. We'll, we'll come back to that. I took a kid to camp. And he is the type of kid where you honestly had to look around and say, do we want the liability of taking this kid to camp, all right? And some of you were like, that was me, all right, when, when you went to camp. But he was that kid. And when we took him to, to camp, long story short, by the grace of God, he came to faith in Christ, it was, it was just one of those spots where you're like, wow, 
Only God can do that. Same is true with any of us, but we're looking at wow. And we're sitting around him, a group of us, and we're talking, and he, he's just wanting to, to, to pray and to talk to God and doesn't know how. And I'm not going to just walk him through some prayer and say, repeat after me. I'm, I'm just going to ask God to forgive you of your sins and, and, and look to Jesus Christ as your only source of hope and things that we had just talked about. So just pray from your heart. So he does the best way this kid can. And he, he bows his head and closes his eyes, and he's praying, and he's got tears flowing from his eyes. And he's saying, Lord, forgive me for all the blank in my life. And Lord, I am sorry for all the blank, blank that I have done. And I, 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 I am blank, blank messed up. But my only hope is you. I need Jesus more than I need anything. And then he, he looks up again, tears flowing, and our tears are flowing from our faces as well. And he goes, I shouldn't have said those words, should I? <laughs> and we were like, one thing at a time. One, one thing at a time. Not going to have it all together. There was another, I'm going to try to keep this one kind of knowing, looking around the room, kind of seeing where we're at, but I have a a former professor of mine who was counseling with a young man who had had multiple uh, sexual partners uh, at the same time. And he was just, he didn't, didn't think it was adultery because he wasn't, none of them were married. He wasn't married. He didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Well, he had come to faith in Christ. And he was telling me, you're going to have to put to death what is earthly in you. And he was walking them through teaching them this. So sexual immorality, it's, it's got to go. Uh, so a few weeks later, this guy comes back to him. And he says, man, these women are mad at you. And he said, and they're mad at me too. He's like, well, because you, you called off the relationships. He goes, no, because after we would finish being together in the evening, I would send them home because we weren't, we're not supposed to sleep together anymore. And, and so I would send them home, and then they would get mad at me for it. But I told them, I'm a Christian now. We, we can't be sleeping together. And, and my professor, he just said, like, really? Really? And I'm sitting there thinking, that's absurd. But what we learn is, it sounds silly, but we can't assume people understand how to follow Christ. We can't assume that people understand the things that just sound plain and simple. We can't assume anything. This is why Jesus instructs us to teach everything that he has commanded. Because believers have to learn and to grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's a process, and it takes time. And guess what? It can be really, really messy. Really messy. It can make us feel really uncomfortable at times. But day by day, and week by week, month by month, and year by year, of continually setting your minds on things above and putting to death what is earthly in us, guess what's happening? We are slowly and surely molding ourselves and becoming more in the image of Christ. And I didn't like spaghetti the first time I took a bite of it. But I love Leslie's and my mother-in-law's spaghetti when they fix it now. I, I get excited knowing that we're having that. Th there's a change that happens over time. I love squash now. It didn't happen because I first ate squash. It, it took time. But we can't just focus on what we're putting to death, we, what we need to eliminate. Because if we do that, then we can easily get bogged down in the legalism, the do's and the don'ts. We also have to teach people what to put on. Like, you know one of the big things that made me not like spaghetti? 
what I was used to didn't have a lot of seasoning in it. So when you add the seasoning, it changes the taste, doesn't it? Well, when we start to not just put things off, when we start to put on, then we start to see some differences in our life as well. So point number three, put on then. Real simple, put on then. See, as, as God's chosen ones, those of us who are in Christ, as children of God, we are to be a people described as holy and beloved. A people uh, who, with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. A people bearing with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven us. And above all, we are to be a people marked by love. As we're told, love binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's not, it's not hard to see the contrast, is there? The contrast is clear. From what we're to put to death to what we're to put on. The former life apart from Christ to the new life in Christ. The, 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 the stark contrast from the darkness to the light. From death to life. There is a contrast. And these are the marks of, the evidence of, the fruit of those who are truly in Christ. The, these are the things that identify us as Christians to the world. And these are the things that make the world stop and take notice and ask questions like this. They'll they'll ask you questions. How? How are you able to forgive him after all that he's done to you? How? They don't understand. It doesn't compute. And, And you respond with humility and with grace and say, if it were not for the grace of God in my life, I couldn't. I couldn't. But me forgiving him is nothing compared to the forgiveness that God has lavishly poured out on me through his son, Jesus Christ. And this right here, brothers and sisters, this is how we see marriages and relationships restored that the world would say we're over. Because what happens, we die to self and we look to Christ. We're going back and we're preaching the gospel to ourselves. Over and over again. Or someone comes to you and they're, and that, and they're saying, why, why would you have that person in your home? Why would, you, why would you have that person in your home? Don't you know what kind of lifestyle they live? Don't you know what she does for a living? Don't you know what he's doing on the side? Don't, don't you know? Why are you going to have compassion on them? Why? And you respond again by just looking to Jesus. And in your mind saying, if... if if Jesus was willing to associate with people like Zacchaeus, a tax collector, a woman at a well who was a social outcast and a sexually immoral woman, then who am I not to show compassion and kindness for my neighbors who don't know Christ? Who am I not to be the person who extends forgiveness and compassion and kindness and a loving heart to a brother or sister in need who's struggling? It's going to rip us out of our comfort zones, yes, but who am I not to do these things? See, above all, the, all things, we are be a people marked by love. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. But then again, we look and we hear this word in our culture today, and there's a lot of confusion regarding the word love, isn't it? We see this word and it's like we're told you just need to love one another. And taking that statement at face value, I'm like, yes. We need to love one another. But love isn't letting your child do whatever they want. Love isn't saying, sure, go play on the highway. Hope you have a great time. Chase those 18-wheelers. 
That's not love. It's not. No, you set rules and parameters. You set directions because you love them. You want the best for them. And then if you see them running into oncoming traffic, you do everything you can to stop them from destruction that awaits. You do everything because you love them. The same is true with those who are living in sin, both believers and unbelievers. It's not loving to not warn someone that the lifestyle they're living and the path that they're on is leading them to destruction. It's not loving if we just sit back and and just say, just do whatever you want to do. No, if, if we truly, really love them, we're going to point them to the truth even if the truth hurts. And this is where our whole social construct kind of pushes in on us and makes us feel real uncomfortable. Because even if the truth is seen by the world as intolerant and unloving, we're going to point them to the only, the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And a lot of people are going to come along and they're going to say, well, that's just intolerant. Well, that, that's unloving. No, not telling the truth and leading, letting them run to a path of destruction. That's unloving. That is what is unloving. But when we do this, when we speak this truth, we're going to do so with compassionate hearts and outstretched arms. Yes, we are going to speak truth. But we're also going to say, okay, come sit right here with me. Come on over to my house. Let's talk. Let's pray together. Let's open up the scriptures together. Let, let's, let's just do this. You don't need to be alone. And guess what? It's going to rip us out of our comfort zones. It's going to rip us out. Because just like it's difficult to put to death what is earthly in us, the putting on the things of Christ doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. The putting on the things of Christ doesn't, doesn't happen and just all of a sudden we wake up and like, yes, I'm a super Christian. None of us in this room are super Christians. Not a single one of us. Sanctification is a process that will last our entire life. From the moment that we come to faith in Christ to the moment we die, sanctification is a process. And we're slowly becoming more and more and more like Christ. We're putting to death of things of this earth and we're putting on the things of Christ. Which leads us to the fourth and final point. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus So what this means is, as Christians, we can't have a private life and a public life. We can't have private beliefs and public beliefs. But this is what we hear, don't we? Like, you're fine to believe that. You can believe whatever you want to believe, but it needs to stay at home or in the church. You better not bring it out into public. That's impossible for a Christian. It's impossible for a faithful Christian to, to, to do this because what we believe directly affects how we live. It, it literally affects everything about us. As Paul writes in verse 17, it should affect everything about us. As he tells us, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He's clearly not saying, okay, okay, in, in some things you do. In some things you do. Or, And he's not saying um, in the private things that you do. In those things, do those for the Lord Jesus, but nothing else. No. He says, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And everything, guess what? It literally means everything. Every part of your life. And this is now where we start reading in verse 18 and we start getting a little uncomfortable feeling like, oh, he better not bring this up. Oh, he better not talk about this. 
remember, we're hitting it from 30,000 feet, so we can avoid some of those fights, but I still want to punch it home as we come, all right? So verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ in everything that you do. For the wrongdoer will be paid back the wrong that he has done, and the, there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So whether from your, from your family life to your work life, from your public life to your private life, whatever you do is to be done as for the Lord and not for men. Everything we do is to be done for the Lord. And that requires a continual process of putting to death what is earthly in us and a constant putting on the things that are up from above. Why? Because no wife in her flesh wants to submit to her, to her husband as to the Lord. Do you, ladies? In your own flesh, you, you want to honor your own flesh. And men, not one of us in this room wants to, 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 to love our wives uh, as Christ loved the church, as we see in Ephesians chapter 5. It's not what we want to do in our flesh. And there is not a single child on this planet that wants to obey their parents in everything if they are in their flesh. And even when we are in Christ, this is a constant battle that we're facing. It's why we constantly have to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves day in and day out. We're we're not going to be perfect, but we are going to be growing in in our sanctification. We are going to be putting on and becoming more like Christ. So as we see, to do these things, we continually have to die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves and then put off these fleshly desires. And then we need to fix our minds on the things that are above. And guess what? This is why it's so important for us to be united with a healthy local church. Because we can't do this alone. You're not intended to do this alone. We need one another. We need one another to help us to to see things in our lives that need to be put to death and to see things that need to be put on. Sometimes we're going to miss it. Sometimes we're going to be going through and we're just so used to our routine. We're going to see areas of rough edges and areas where we can improve or where areas we can help others. We need the church to look at our lives and say, yes, yes, I see these things in you. We see spiritual fruit in your life. And here's how you can continue to grow in Christ. And so to come along and to encourage you in this. And we also need the church to love us enough to say, the choices that you're making are not the choices a Christian should be making. You need to love us enough to come alongside and say the choices you're making are not the choices that Christians should be making. These are the things that if you are in Christ, they need to be put to death. And we're here to help. We're here to help. And if they're unwilling to do this, they're saying, no, I'm not putting these things to death. Well, then they're showing evidence that they're not really in Christ. That's what we see here. This means we love one another to such a degree that we're not going to let one another play on the highway, basically. We love each other to such a degree we're not going to be content to let one another live lives that lead to destruction because we're afraid of offending. No, we love beyond that. We want to speak the truth in love. So we're going to strive to love. And we're going to bear burdens and have compassion and display kindness. And, and we're going to do it all with a focus upon Christ.
We're going to do it all with a focus on, on, on preaching the gospel. Yes, we're going to share the truth. But it's going to be the truth that is only found in Christ. So we can talk about and hear from our culture all we want about love wins. And all we need is love. We want to talk about what type of love wins. This is the type of love that wins. A love that is honest and open to say, you know what? I don't have it all together. I don't. But I want to point you to the only hope that I have. And the only hope that you have. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. You don't know what we need to be thankful for this season? That we, that Christ came and lived the life that we were intended to live. You intend to live a perfect life. How many of you have lived a perfect life? None of us. But Christ did. And then He took your sin and your shame and He went to the cross. And He died the death that you deserve to die. That we deserve to die. And then He rose from the grave three days later. Giving everyone who believes in Him a hope and a future that we do not deserve to have. And thus we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And we're not just left to do it on our own. We are then able to, to grow and to become more like Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's something to be thankful for. Be thankful that we have a, a church family who is willing to come alongside of you and say, okay, you're struggling here, Let, let's help. And if you're struggling somewhere, you need some of those edges roughed off, we all do, then lock arms with, with brothers and sisters of Christ and let's do that together. Let's continue to look to Jesus.